0: Hello and welcome to the City Grace Podcast. We're so happy you've decided to join us today as we learn how amazing it is to follow Jesus. Enjoy the message. Today I wanted to uh, to take a little bit of time and, and really just kind of talk a little bit with the church and, and and maybe put on my pastor hat for a little bit and and actually, if you're a guest here today, I, I think it's a great day for you to be here because um, I, I think today i'm gonna, you're going to hear a little bit of, of my heart as, as the pastor of this church and and um, I, I think you're going to see a little bit about what we want to be, who we want to be as a church, what I'm hoping for the disciples of Jesus in this place, the people that follow Jesus. Um, here in the City Grace family. And so if you're a guest today, man, we're so glad you're here, and we think it's actually a great day for you to be here. And uh, I'm believing that God, if you'll let him, God can speak to you. God can challenge you as well. And you can follow Jesus with us. Come and and ask questions with us. Come and and fit in and eat food with us. We love to eat. Wow, y'all are off your game today. City Grace family. We love to eat and share food and feuds, foods, meals, um, share time together, share life together. And so we're glad that everyone's here today. Um, but today I wanted to take some time and, and talk about tomorrow and, and really the 365 tomorrows that are coming up in, in 2019 that are going to be gifted to us um, if God is good and God is gracious. Um, but a- as a pastor, you know, pastors have maybe a little bit of a unique role in the Je- in the Jesus movement and um, there's this calling by Jesus to kind of oversee His church, the direction and the health of the church, the growth um, and the effectiveness of the church. And those ideas and the pastoring of a church, really it's something that's maybe more organic than corporate, if I can put it that way. It has to do more with, with living things than than dead things, right? Because the church is made up of people. And so God has asked me to shepherd and to steward and to lead people. And, and I think that sometimes this idea can get lost, especially if, you know, you've been away from church for a while or maybe used to go to church but don't really go anymore. And I think this is one of the reasons maybe that you disconnected or disengaged. We, we tend to think of church as being somewhere that we go we tend to think of church as an event that we attend during the week. Um, but it was it was in its original form. It wasn't really meant to be someplace you go. The church was meant to be something that we are. And more even than just something that I am or you are on your own. It's something that we are meant to be together. And uh, some of, I, I think, you know, the way that we kind of run into this and bump into this is um, the way that the Bible was kind of translated into English. And if you know a little bit about the Bible, the old part of the Bible, the Old Testament was originally written like in Hebrew and Aramaic a little bit, and, and then the new part, then what we call the New Testament was written mostly in Greek. And in the, you know, when we read the word church in our English translation, it comes actually from a German word, but in the original Greek that was recorded where Jesus' words were recorded, he uses a Greek word called ecclesia. ekklesia. And uh, if there, we have several or quite a few Spanish speakers in the room, you know that the word for church in Spanish is iglesia. It looks a little, bit, a little bit more like this Greek word ekklesia. And it was a word that was used, ekklesia is, is a word that was used it wasn't a religious word. It was a word that was used for a gathering, when people would get together around a cause, around a movement. It was political a lot of times, this word, ecclesia. And it was used for maybe like something that we might call or consider a political rally in our day and time. But it had nothing to do with buildings Ecclesia in the original Greek has nothing at all to do with buildings, but somewhere along the lines, as the original Greek was kind of translated into Latin, and then it kind of you know made its way up through Germany, of course, with Gutenberg and the printing press and all that. Somewhere along the line, somebody decided to substitute the word ecclesia, the word for gatherings or crowds or political movements, for this German word of kirk or kirche. There's a few different ways to pronounce it that I've found, but loosely, this word that we get that means church kind of loosely translates to a phrase in English like the house that belongs to the Lord. So it's not anymore about his movement or his, his cause, but it became about a house that was supposed to belong to him, a building. And of course, that kind of borrowed that idea and that way of thinking from the old, you know, every other religion, right? The, every religion, you have a temple for the God of the religion. And so that kind of, that thinking kind of crept in to the Jesus movement, and partly why that's partly why the Church of Jesus kind of became associated with its buildings more than its cause down through time. And you can see it um, all over the world today. You know, building churches, and, and by that I mean buildings, kind of became a significant part of Christian culture. And it's still really that way in 2018. You see, I mean, we're in a renovation project on our church building. Here, even at City Grace. And as much as we're happy for it and we think it's the right thing to do, and it won't be too many years, and we'll be looking around again and saying that things need to be updated again. But listen to me what's most important as we call ourselves the church, as you consider joining a church or being part of the church, you have to understand that what is most important to emphasize is the cause. That Jesus launched, the movement that Jesus launched and invited people to become part of. The cause is what makes us the church that Jesus built. The cause, the movement, the ideas, the beliefs, our belief that Jesus Christ is the Messiah the son of the living God. And if you're not Jewish, that word Messiah doesn't really have a lot of meaning for you. But for the Jewish people, the Messiah was something wrapped up in their national history, their national identity. It was this promised rescuer from from God himself. And and the church is built around the idea that Jesus is that promised rescuer from God himself. Jesus is uh, uh, the, the true image of the creator, that Jesus is the image of God, that we actually were created originally to reflect and to to shine out into our world, to believe that our belief that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the living God, the only one that can can forgive our past sins, the, the only one who is a pattern for a redeemed future, for a different way of being human, not just for us, but for everybody who draws breath on God's earth. And so these beliefs, these core doctrines bind us together as the ecclesia, the movement that Jesus started. And uh, Matthew tells us about it. Matthew was one of Jesus' closest followers. And Matthew, um, you know, 30 to 50 years, somewhere in that range after Jesus left the earth and kind of had launched his movement, Matthew wrote all this down. And history and archaeology has preserved Matthew's account. I think it's just fascinating um, how verifiable this is. But Matthew talks about it in Matthew chapter 16 that Jesus was walking. He came to the region of Caesarea Philippi. It was a city over in Israel. And he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? Like, what's the word on the street? What are people saying about me? And they replied, some say John the Baptist, who had died. Others say Elijah, who had been dead for hundreds of years. And still others say... echoes in what you're saying of of our old Jewish scriptures, you know, so maybe you're one of those old dead voices and ideas, but maybe, you know, with a little bit of a new spin on it, and then Jesus looks at them, and and he kind of gathers them in close, and he says, but what about you? Who do you say that I am? And see, Jesus knew what they were about to be up against. Jesus knew that, you know, his voice and his teachings were going to clash with the rulers and the ideologies of the day and, and even the way that people thought about religion, the way that people thought about power and how power was supposed to be used. And so he, this was the key thing that Jesus needed to know from them. If you're about to go with me through all of the hell that's about to be unleashed on us, this is the key issue. Who do you believe that I am? Who do you say That I am. And Peter was probably standing towards the front of the group anyway, because Peter was always just kind of like up there, front and center, a little bit loudmouthed. And I say that in a very loving way because it gives me hope. But Simon Peter, he answered Jesus and he says, You are the Messiah, you're the Son of the living God. See, Peter was Jewish, Peter had grown up with the theme and the idea of a Messiah. The theme and the idea of a person that was coming that somehow was God and yet was God's servant. And to Peter, the word Messiah was more than just a word. It was an idea. It was a person. It was a rescuer. It was was hope itself. It was a, a champion of every person that found themselves oppressed and kind of bound by chains. And so Peter's telling him, you're the rescuer that our creator God has promised from the beginning. You're the arm of our God, our Old Testament scriptures would say. You're the kingly presence of our God. You're the image of our invisible God. Let me go ahead and call you the son of the living God. You are that which came from the heart of the Father himself and came into our world and became flesh. And Jesus looks at at Peter, and I think Jesus kind of has a twinkle in his eye, and maybe a grin on his face, and he's nodding his head, and he replies, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood. Peter, you're smart, but you're not that smart. This was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father who is in heaven. I can tell that you've been praying. I can tell that you've been waiting. You've been looking forward to the day when rescue will come, and my Father has shown this to you. And then this is the part where Jesus kind of peers into the future. Jesus looks 2,000 years into the future, if I can put it that way, and Jesus sees us here today. And he goes on and he says, and I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my ecclesia." Now in your English Bible it says church there, but in the Greek it's ekklesia, this movement This gathering of people around a cause and the gates of Hades or the gates of hell will not overcome it. And and so Jesus is saying on this truth of who I am, on the truth that I am the rescuer sent from the creator, that I am the image of the heavenly father, I am the restored picture of what humans are supposed to look like and how humans are supposed to treat each other and love each other and behave towards each other. On that truth, I will build my movement. In the gates of hell and the powers of this world, they're going to do their best to silence my movement. They're going to do their best to push me to the margin and, and not get people to see a different way of living and of being alive. But they will not be able to snuff out the light that I shine through my ecclesia, through my movement, through my church. Hell will not be able to silence the echo of my love that is going to ring out into the world through my church, through us, the people who are gathered around a cause and a movement. In your life, in my life, if you're a Jesus follower, if you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, then your life and my life are meant to reflect that hope and that love out into our world. But the ecclesia, the church of Jesus, was never about a building. It was always about you. Turn and point at somebody and tell them, it was always about you. Man, y'all are so quiet today. Shout it out loud. Come on. Tell them, it was always about you. Yeah. Talk like you're talking with somebody who doesn't speak your language. You ever do that with somebody, right? They don't speak English, and so you talk louder in English? Like, that's going to help them understand. You guys know what? To, so you and I are what Jesus promised to build. It's our ideas. It's our way of thinking, our values, our behavior, our actions, Monday to Monday, 24-7, 365.25. It's us that Jesus promised to build what we love and what we don't love how we treat others and how we forgive others and how we give to others, how we deal in mercy and forgiveness instead of revenge and retribution and how we mourn over what's broken in our world and how we hunger and thirst for the right thing to be done in our world, how we make peace when division and tribalism is the word and the order of the day, how we recognize just how poor in spirit we are, just how poor in the right kind of spirit we are. And so we pray for God to fill us with what he is rich in, the love and joy and peace and long-suffering and gentleness and goodness and meekness and temperance and faith. So Jesus is building his church because Jesus is building you. Jesus is building his church because Jesus is building me. And one of the tools that Jesus Jesus uses to build the church is a pastor. And that does not make me special. That makes me responsible. That does not make me a dictator. It makes me your servant. Chelsea and I do not exist for what we can get from you. We are here to give you all that we can to help you grow in following Jesus. We're here to love you and to pray for you and to cry with you and to laugh with you. And sometimes... We might laugh at you, you know, and you can laugh at us in return. And we want to share meals and, and share life with you. And yeah, there might be times when we tisk tisk you, but we're always here to support you and to encourage you because you are the church of Jesus. You are what he gave his life to purchase. It's not about a building. It's all about you. Come on, and most of y'all woke up this morning thinking it was all about you, didn't you? Mmm, mmm, be careful what you preach, Jared. So I'd love to sit down and and talk with each and every one of us, uh, you know, and talk with you about how Jesus might build you in 2019. But our church family's getting to the point where that's just maybe not feasible. And really the things that I hope to see in each and every one of us, they're not generic in a bad way, but they're really common to us all. And so I thought I'd take today to talk about some of the things that I think grow us as Jesus followers. Maybe we could consider this some new leaves for you to turn over in 2019. And because we are the church, if we grow, then the church grows. Because you are the church, if you grow, then the Jesus movement grows. And so to kind of set up the first thing that I'm praying for you in 2019, this is the biggest thing, and I promise we're going to spend the most time here, and the others won't take as long. I give you my word, but I want to set this up because this has to do with your engagement. This has to do with how attentive you are, how much you attend, how much you participate in this thing that we call the church. And I want to say this to anybody here today, that if Christianity is boring to you, like let's just be honest, if you found church to be boring, Maybe that's why you stopped coming, because it just didn't seem like it was doing anything. If, if, if you think following Jesus is boring, then you may be doing it wrong. And that's good news, right? That's good news, because if it was boring and you were doing it wrong, then there's hope that it won't be boring. And I'm not crazy enough to promise you that you'll never come to a church service and sit through a boring church service, but living a life of intentionally following the Holy Spirit moment by moment by moment is never boring. It's scary, but it's never, ever boring. And, and again, most people kind of stop being Christians for, for this reason. Not that they completely stop believing everything, but they just don't see how church and regular life intersect and what it might look like day to day, Monday and Tuesday and and Wednesday through Friday and Saturdays and Sundays. What does it look like? Why does it matter? And, And if following Jesus is starting to feel like it doesn't really matter, then you might be doing it wrong. And I don't say that offensively. Listen, I'm the pastor. So if you feel like following Jesus is boring, that's on me. I've got to do a better job of helping you understand how connected you are and what exactly you are connected to. This is on our leadership team. If you feel that way, and if you feel that way about being a Christian, please come talk to us. Send me an email. Let's go and let's grab coffee. I love coffee. I drink tons of Starbucks too much, and I just got an espresso machine for Christmas. So I will make you your own ristretto or lungo or cafe Hoojumungo. I don't know what all the names are. Their they're, they're little pods are so ridiculously named. You know, I want the one that tastes a little bit like chocolate. Like, you know, they should make that the name. Tastes a little bit like chocolate. I'll take four of those. You know, this just make it easy for me, please. But, but, you know, we need to know if this is the way you feel about being a Christian because it's not supposed to be boring. It is, it is full, and it is full of joy, and it's the most wonderful way to live life. I'm telling you, a lot of us have tried a lot of different ways of doing life, and they all hurt, but with Jesus, it's so much better. And so if it feels boring, man, come come talk to us. We need to know so that we can connect the dots better and, and make the right kind of ministries available and connect you with the right resources. Maybe just walk with you a while. And we're here to, to lead you into the full kind of faith-filled life that Jesus promised you could have. And so one of the things that I'm praying for, for every person that follows Jesus at City Grace this year, this is what I'm praying for. I pray that you at some point obey the Spirit In doing something that requires courage. Courage. Like you got to be a little bit brave. Like on your own, you might back away. But I am praying that God challenges you in 2019 with something that requires spiritual courage and sacrifice. Now, this might not be what you would pray for in 2019. You were going to pray for a new car. But this is what I'm praying for. This is what I'm hoping for, for you. And because this is part of why being a Christian is boring for so many people. Either you have not found or you haven't responded to a challenge by the Holy Spirit to add something to your life or to take something out of your life or to do something that's completely out of your comfort zone for the cause and for the name of Jesus. And so I want you to experience that. And it might not be every day. It might not be something that happens every week or every month. Or maybe it happened last year and it won't happen this year. I don't know. But at some point in following Jesus, there should be something where you feel a little tug. You feel that that's something that catches your attention. You know, you hear it and then you go back and you say, wait, wait, wait. Can you say that again? You see something and you move past it and you, wait, wait. You, you go back and you take a second look. The something, that nagging thing. Every time you try and pray, there it is. Every time you think about church, there it is, and it makes you either want to go to church more or it makes you want to stay away. There it is, something that God is dealing with you about, and, and you know that I need to do this, and, and I should be doing this. And I hope it's big, and I hope it's scary, and I hope it, it's hairy. And I hope it just takes tons of courage. I hope it takes way more courage than you have. I hope it it makes you consider that you'll have to pay something that you're not really comfortable paying. And I'm not just talking about money, I'm talking about resources, time, or your attitude, or to give something, not just money, but resources, time, attitude. I hope you're not sure how it's gonna turn out. Like all you can see in front of you is that one step, and you can't see anything past the one step. And boy, that step is a big one. Un- Mom's from Texas, so y'all don't know about biggins. It's that step is a biggin'. It just scares you, and, and you know that God is tugging and calling you into something that is outside of your comfort zone. Now, look, I'm not talking about something that you make up on your own. I'm not asking you, and I'm not praying that you are crazy for crazy's sake. We got enough crazy around here. You don't need to test God. You don't need to prove God. You don't need to drink Kool-Aid or handle the snakes. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about leaving the one job before you get another one lined up. I'm not talking about marrying the first girl that matches you on Christian Mingle. I'm not talking about all that. I'm not talking about crazy for crazy's sake. I am talking about something that you've gotten godly counsel on. Something that every time you pray, God deals with you. Something that's completely in line with God's word. Something that people who love you and love Jesus, they agree with you that, yeah, that's a big deal. But man, maybe you should do it. And if you do, I'm here to support you as you do it. Here's the thing. You can't go for too long without living for God without doing something that requires faith. You can't live for any veteran Christians in here know what I'm talking about. If you go too long without doing something that takes a little bit of faith, a little bit of trust in God to make up what you know you lack, if you don't do that, you're going to get disconnected with your faith. You're going to get bored, and you're going to walk away. You think, well, Jared, how can you say that? You're the pastor. You're supposed to make church. I'm telling you, this is truth. Like, Here's how I can say that. Listen, if you follow all of Jesus' teachings and order your life around that, won't it make life better? You're all scared. That wasn't a trick question. That was a good question. You're, you can answer. Won't it make life better? Like it does. It makes life peaceful. Like, you know, you still fight with your husband or wife, but you don't throw things anymore. Like it's okay. It's a, it's a little calmer, right? If you order your finances, if you just live life in your relationships. But here's the thing. You can learn to live in peace because you have learned to do all of the smart ways to do life but you've learned to live in peace and you no longer depend on God to give you that peace because you are practicing his ways, but it's kind of like you've cut him out of the picture because of all that you have learned. Now, I was debating whether or not I was going to share this with you. Solomon, in Solomon's prayer, about seven, eight years ago, whatever it was, when I started feeling the pull into church leadership, into pastoring and starting to feel that tug. I was looking at, at Solomon. I was thinking about a prayer. How was I going to approach this? God, you know, if you're calling me to pastor, what is this going to look like? What's this going to cost me? What's this going to, you know, not like I was considering not doing it, but just, God, how do I move forward in this? And, and I came across Solomon's prayer. Solomon's considered the wisest man in, in the Bible, maybe the wisest man in history, right? And, and we all like Solomon because Solomon, when he was becoming the king of Israel, they told him, or God told him, you know, you can ask me for anything you want. And he could ask for money, could ask for fame or power, you know, those kinds of things. And instead, he said, God, I want wisdom. Will you give me wisdom? And God was like, wow, that's a great request. So yes, here's wisdom and I'll give you money and fame and power and all of these things. And we look at Solomon and think, wow, that was awesome for Solomon to ask for wisdom. But where did Solomon end up? If you know the story of Solomon, where did Solomon end up? Solomon ended up with 700 wives, which means that Solomon had 700 mothers-in-law who were nothing like my mother-in-law, who's awesome. She's in the room, and I'm telling you, that would not have been a big deal if they had all been Narda. That's where Solomon ended up. 700 wives and 300 other ladies on the side. Like, what in the world is going on? And then he ended up building temples and altars to all of their different gods. He didn't make them convert over to worshiping the one true God. And then he ended up, at the end of his life, he was worshiping their gods right alongside his God. What happened to his wisdom? What happened is God filled him with wisdom. Well, pretty soon he was so smart that he, quote, unquote, didn't need God anymore. And you can order your life by the wisdom of Jesus Christ, but if you're not careful and if you don't live a life that is characterized by a constant dependence on the presence of God, you will find that you will learn your way out of needing God in every moment of your life. And So I decided, God, I don't want wisdom. God, make me dumber than a box of rocks. To which my parents said, God has answered prayer, yay and amen. But no, instead, God, I don't want wisdom because I don't want to lose you. God, will you just give me your voice? And don't make me depend on me. Make me depend on you. I don't need wisdom as long as I've got your voice. I don't need to have it figured out as long as I'm holding your hand and you're leading me. I don't need to be strong as long as I am asking you to be strong on my behalf. I don't want to figure out life on my own, do life on my own, walk on my own, because then I would always be on my own. But Jesus, I want you. Oh, come on, somebody. Like, if he really is the risen Christ, come on. If he really did get back up from the dead and send his Holy Spirit to flood our lives, like, isn't that the thing we should want most? If he really is Emmanuel, which means God with us, don't you want God with us every moment of life? So, Jesus, I don't want a good life. I want you. Jesus, I don't want to figure out how to make it on my own. I want want you. You're more than just a philosophy, and you're more than just one religion among all the other religions, but I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God, the promised rescue for me who was lost in my sin and lost in my own wisdom and lost in my own strength and ability. You are the promised closeness, God with us. God, I want you. I want God. And so this is what I'm praying, that you totally realize your need for God in some area of your life. This is how you become a deep Christian. Anybody, if you grew up in this, you know, church like I did, growing up in a pastor's home, went to church all the time, man, I heard a lot of preaching. And there's sometimes if you grew up maybe a little bit like that or have a lot of church background, you know, any, anybody ever remember hearing a really confusing sermon? You guys remember that? Oh, I went back. I went one side too far. You guys remember hearing a really confusing sermon? You thought, man, that was really confusing. You said to somebody next to you, man, that was a really confusing sermon. They said, no, that wasn't confusing. That was deep. I said, no, no, I didn't understand it. And I don't know what I'm supposed to do with it. they said, yeah, because it's deep. No, it wasn't deep. That was confusing. Right? That's, you're scared to say amen on that one. You don't know where I'm going. Deep Christianity isn't about information that flies over your head. Being a deep Christian is about following Jesus into circumstances that are over your head. This is what deep means. Deep means that you can't stand on your own two feet. Deep means that you obey with no guaranteed outcome. Deep means a yes to God, even though you don't know where it's going to end up. Deep means a yes to God, even though you know that you don't have enough knowledge or wisdom or resources or strength on on your own. Like think of all the Christians that impress you. Maybe it was your dad or or your mom or your grandparents, one of your grandparents, or maybe it's just the heroes of, of faith that we find in the Bible. It wasn't what they knew that impressed you. It was what they did oftentimes in spite of what they knew. It was how they responded to life. It was how they responded to to tragedy and to things that set them back. And they had faith, even when it seemed like they should have given up their faith. And you look at them and you think, man, look at them go in their faith. And we think, I don't know if I could ever respond like that. I don't know if I could ever do that or give that or say that or go there or, you know, be that. Here's the secret. They didn't know either. But it didn't matter what they didn't know. It didn't matter what they didn't have. All that mattered is following Jesus wherever he might lead. Especially when it brings us to the end of ourselves. Especially when it brings us to the end of ourselves. Because this is a truth. You'll never experience the richness of God until you face your own poverty. You'll never know the wisdom of God until you find something, run into something that you can't figure out on your own. You'll never know the forgiveness and the mercies of God until you come to a full realization of just how sinful and broken we are. We come up against something that we think, man, I don't know if God can even forgive me of this. But there are moments and there are times when we pray and the forgiveness and the mercies of God. Come on, anybody know what I'm talking about? And suddenly you you find that breakthrough and you believe, you begin to believe, He has forgiven me. I know I don't deserve it, but He has. You'll never find the riches and the richness of God until you face your own poverty. But some of us aren't there. For some of us, we follow Jesus because it's a great idea. And it's great that you're following him because you think it's just a great idea. It's why you're here, but there's an element of risk that's missing. Your faith is tame and it's manageable. And I am praying for God to scare you. Mm, mm. But some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. There are people in this room you've already been praying God's already been dealing with you. And, you know, you're at that point where nobody has to remind you to pray. Like people asking you, well, have you tried praying? And You're like, pray? That's all I do lately. I can't stop praying, right? I'm so keyed up. It's a big deal. Maybe it's baptism. Maybe it's leading a small group or being part of a small group. Maybe it's, it's tied to your financial giving or a prayer or a fast or a relationship or something that's broken at work or maybe it's somebody that needs something and you know they do and God has put you in their lives and you're scared, To make that commitment. Maybe it's that walk to the front after a message. Maybe it's giving up that thing. Letting go of that thing. It's been bugging you for a while and you know it's hurting you. You know it's hurting your marriage. and You've been letting it hang around, but maybe you know it's time that you do something about it. And you're not sure what's on the other side of letting it go. You need to let it go. You need to come to the end of yourself so that you can find the richness and the glory and the goodness of God. That's good. Come on, somebody, and say amen in church this morning. This is what it looks like to walk by faith. Faith is not purely a mental exercise. It's kind of come to to have that meaning in our our modern day context. But faith is is what you do and how you behave as if something is true. Faith is what you do based on what you believe. That's why James, the brother of Jesus, said that faith without works is dead. It's when you believe and you act on what you believe God said to be true. And in your future, I'm telling you, when you look back on this thing, when you tell the story of this thing, it's always going to be emotional. In your future, when you look back at what you were facing and you didn't know where your your answer was going to come from, it's always going to get you going on the inside and, and cause you to be grateful because you trusted what God said. And even though it was out of your reach, it was never out of God's hands. And God came through. God's faithfulness intersected with your faith and your world will never be the same. So I'm praying for God to scare you. Because if you don't look for this, if you don't pray for this and listen for this, you'll get older and you'll become an experienced Christian and then your faith will get stale. And you'll call yourself a Christian because of something you did one time a long time ago. But you won't be a Christian because of the daring, the scary and the challenging things that God is trying to do through you and in you in 2019. But come on, don't you want to see what God does next? Come on, if what he's already done in your past is nothing short of amazing, don't you want to see what else he can do in your future? Don't you want to walk in places you've never walked before as long as God is by your side? When you go there, when you do this, you'll pray like you've never prayed. You'll open your Bible. Verses you've read before will come alive like you've read them 50 times. Well, not really because, you know... Nobody reads that verse 50 times, but you've read it a ton of times, and suddenly it will be more alive. You'll come to church and sing these worship songs, and you'll cry, and you'll lift your hand, and you'll say, it's my favorite song, and they'll say, we've been singing it for eight years, and you'll say, yeah, I know, but I never noticed the words before, because everything will start to connect, and everything that God has already put in place to support you is already there, but you'll start seeing it for what God meant it to be, and his his words and his promises will come true for us, each and every one of us, as we move forward with God into something that's unknown. And Jesus was getting close to the end of his public career, and he was talking and challenging people. He's, he's heading for Jerusalem, where he's about to be crucified. He's about to die, to give up his life, to give us new life. And it's maybe his last big push for disciples, maybe his last big calling for people to join his ecclesia, the movement that he is starting. And, and we don't really know where the man comes from. There was always a crowd following them, and probably Jesus had seen him in the crowd for a while. But Luke tells us that at one point in Luke chapter 9, verse 59, he said to another man, Jesus turns and says to a man, follow me. This is the invitation of a lifetime. The Jesus movement is about to change the course of history. and Jesus has invited this man to follow him and to be part of changing the world. But he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Now at first, that's a pretty reasonable request. Like when we think of it in our terms, like yeah, if, if my dad had just died, you know, I probably wouldn't be with Jesus in the first place. And that's the key to understanding what's going on here. The man's father was probably not dead yet. In the first century, when somebody died, it was a race to get them in the tomb as quickly as they could. Because after not too long, they started to what? Stink. Yes. That's why when you see Jesus in the story of Lazarus, he'd been in the tomb for four days by the time Jesus showed up. They buried him right away as soon as he had passed away. This man was not asking for permission to go attend the funeral service of his father. This man was asking Jesus for permission to go home and live with his aging parents. And eventually lay his father to rest and set the estate in order and maybe gain some inheritance for himself. And then when he had everything lined up, when he had everything sorted, when he had everything put into its right place, when he had ordered his own life, he could come back and he could follow Jesus. And Jesus has no chill. Jesus looks at him and says, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. That's a pretty pointy statement, right? It's a pretty pointed statement from somebody with long flowing hair, a nice manicured beard with a sheep always on his shoulders, isn't it? Nice rosy cheeked Jesus with the faint glow behind his head. Like, this is, this is a harsh statement. For Jesus to make. And Jesus is trying to show him that inheritance and position and estates and future considerations, those things are all dead when you compare them with the new kind of life that I am trying to introduce into the world. He's trying to get this man to see you need to leave those temporary and empty things to temporary and empty people. And you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. The new kingdom where wealth status means nothing. The new kingdom where people who were once divided are suddenly brought together. The new kind of kingdom where your estate and your inheritance is not a cause for self-promotion. You need to go proclaim the new kingdom where slaves are set free and those that are bound by addictions are released to a new way of life. Leave the temporary and the empty and go proclaim the kingdom and here. We sit today in rooms and we join ourselves to a body of believers that has been created by people, the previous generations of this church that have answered this very call. We have made sacrifices in our lives to bring this church family to this place and to this moment. We today are the result of invitations and websites that people have built. Your kids are right now back there with volunteers who are giving of their time and sacrificing themselves and letting some temporary and empty things go by so that they can proclaim the kingdom of God. We today, this room today, you here today, you are the product of prayer upon prayer prayer upon prayer, because somewhere along the line, thank God for the City Grace family that we decided the things of this world are temporary and they are empty. But God, with your help, we will step into the unknown. We will step out and follow you, and we're not sure how it's going to end up. But as long as we have you, Jesus, as long as we have you, We've seen people healed of their physical ailments here in this church family. We've seen marriages that were broken put back together in this church family. People burdened by guilt and sin and things that you have done in the past and we had done in the past. In this church family, we've been baptized in Jesus' name and had our past washed away. I'm one of those. Empty, empty people like you and like me, we have been filled with the holy breath of God himself. Lives that were broken have been put back together all because a previous generation of the ecclesia decided no more temporary and empty things. Jesus, I give myself to following you, even though it might scare me. None of it is by us. But hear me, hear me, all of it that Jesus does is through the church. It's through the church. And the gates of hell will never stop this church from reaching into the darkness and shining the light and the love of Jesus Christ. Can you give him thanks this morning? Come on all over this room. Can you take a moment and tell him thank you for his love and his light? But we can't get complacent, church. We can't get satisfied. We can't say that we've arrived and we're not going any farther. We have to ask. We owe it to our kids. We owe it to the next generation. You owe it to your neighbor and your coworker and your family members. You owe it to yourself and to them to ask every single day, Holy Spirit, what would you have me do right now that requires courage that I am not sure that I have and sacrifice that I might find hard to make. Listen, I, I'm going crazy with this. I'm, I'm telling you, when I say I'm praying for stuff that's scary, I'm praying, I hope that some, some families in here adopt a kid this year. Like, let's go big. Like, let's go deep where we can't stand on our own two feet, right? I, I hope some of us leave careers to become teachers and mentors. Ouch. Don't start talking about money, Jared. I hope some of us, maybe we just give up part of career, part of a career. Maybe you just go part-time and becoming a mentor. I hope someone in this room volunteers with that Fairfield Mobile Youth Center that we've been talking about. I hope someone here begins to give of yourself and your time for senior care. Maybe it's orphan care or meal care or jail visitations or medical clinic volunteer. I can't wait to hear what God does to this broken world through your love. Mm, mm, mm. it's what I'm praying for. It's what I'm praying for. So get ready. If you start getting scared, you're welcome. You're welcome. A few more things, and I promise, that was the longest one. I won't take as long on the rest of them. Just a few more minutes here. I pray that you will experience the joy of helping someone take a step to follow Jesus. In, In the previous times, we had said we hoped that you would invite somebody to church, but this, this... This requires love. This requires sharing your table and sharing your living room. This requires prayer, maybe even fasting. I fast every day. Between breakfast and lunch, between lunch and dinner. Then I go to bed at night and I wake up in the morning and I break fast. That's just what I do. It's just how holy I am. But Someday, hello church family, someday to have someone share their story, to have, oh, do you know what it's going to be like when you stand before the King of Kings and someone that you love, someone that you gave your life to help, steps forward and they are part of that eternal God family, and they say, "I am here because of him. I am here because." Of her and her love and her prayers that you were the catalyst, that your prayers made the difference. You helped them make that first step. Maybe you did invite them or maybe you didn't meet them till they got here, but you gave of yourself to make a difference. In someone else's life. You took them up in prayer. You attended small group. You led them to baptism. You came to the front and prayed. And maybe they'll have questions and maybe they'll have issues that are over your head and you're not sure what to do. Pastor, what do I do with this? How, how do I help them in this? And maybe you'll be in over your head like, you know, things are getting deep and you'll need God. And You'll pray like you never have. You might even cry over them in your prayer. You might even get choked up, men, as you begin to think of them and ask God to do the impossible for them and ask God to come through and to help you help them. And their story and their testimony will become emotional for you because their story will become part of you and your own story. I'm praying that everybody here will experience the joy of helping someone follow Jesus. And you know what else will happen when you start doing that? Everything that we're doing around here will start making sense. Everything that's changed. When's the last time that you can't? This is kind of convicting. When's the last time that we came to church and we were nervous about what songs they were going to sing? When's the last time we came to church and we just hoped to goodness... Dustin wears the red pants today, you know, because, like, the red pants bring out the rosiness of his complexion. You know, it doesn't just... You hope Jared would crack a few jokes. You hope that somebody would say hello and make that person feel so welcome. Anybody know? I'm telling you there's nothing like it. That's when you'll start seeing church through the eyes of somebody that needs Jesus. And I'm praying for you. I'm praying for you that you experience that joy of helping someone follow Jesus. The next thing that I'm praying, I pray that you experience the peace and the joy that comes from organizing your finances, around the priorities of give, save, and live. Give, save, and live. Give first, save second, live on what's left. Give first, save second, live on what's left. It's that easy. Come on, say it with me. You ready? Give first, save second, live on what's left. I can't wait for you to experience the joy of this. We believe in this so much. It's why every spring, it's coming up in January, you can sign up for it. Our Financial Peace Small Group, it, take, it costs 100 bucks to enroll in Financial Peace Small Group. But we believe in this so much. We pay your $100 enrollment. Every January, we pony up and we pay out so that anybody who wants to go through Financial Peace can go through Financial Peace and we'll give you the kickstart to get in there. Because I'm telling you, there's nothing like being free from debt. There is nothing like looking at your bank account and it's not all minuses and reds. Can I hear a good amen, somebody? There's nothing like it. There's nothing like coming up to the Christmas season and not having a credit card and not even wanting a credit card to buy your kid the toy that is going to become obsolete next month when the next version of the toy comes out. Come on, you'd be a lot better off buying your kids some cardboard boxes and letting them play in it. I'm just telling you, Jesus said this, Matthew 6, 19, 20, do not, everybody say it, do not, do not, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and the creditors and the tax collector, vermin, oh, I already said vermin, uh, destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourself treasures in heaven. Everybody say temporary and empty. Temporary and empty. Say it one more time. Jesus says, I offer you something eternally fulfilling. So in contrast to temporary and empty. And watch this in verse 21. He says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Heart follows treasure. Come on, everybody say it with me one more time. Heart follows treasure. Wow. Wow. Jesus is saying, if you want your heart in a different place, put your money there and your heart will follow. And if you don't direct your money, your money will direct you and your heart will be divided and you'll end up leaking because it'll be chasing a thousand different pursuits. So you need a plan. You need a plan to make sure that your heart is singular and it's purpose and chasing the right things and doesn't get divided and your money doesn't direct you. And we think the best way to plan is the one that gets you, gives you peace. And so we tell everybody to go through financial peace. And you need to go through the financial peace small group because we all need peer pressure. You need somebody to shame you when you use your credit card again. You need that. Yeah, that's not very fun, is it? We all make the right kind of changes, not when we decide on our own to give something up but when we decide to trade up to something better. So you need to sign up for financial peace, and that's coming up next month. You can sign up. Can you imagine if everybody in here was debt-free? Can you imagine if there were no credit card bills in this room? Can you imagine if none of us had car payments? Whoa. Can you imagine if your house was almost paid? Can you imagine the generosity that we could unleash on our world? Can you imagine the difference that we could make, the medical clinics we could provide, the resources we could provide for the hurting and the oppressed and the marginalized in our society? Can you imagine what we can do? Or do you never think about it? I want you to think about it. I want you to set your mind on something else. Put your treasure in heaven. Put your treasure outside of yourself, and your heart will follow your treasure. So we want you to experience the peace that comes From giving first, saving second, and living on what's left. I want your heart to be in the right place. And the thing is, you can't pray your heart into the right place. You can't behave your heart into the right place. Jesus said it's way more practical than that. You have to give your heart into the right place. So, I want you to experience the peace and joy that comes from organizing your finances around the priorities of give, save, and live. And the last thing for today... For those that are newer, uh, I, I, maybe you're not a believer yet. Maybe you're hoping that some of your questions get answered. Maybe you're, you're hoping there's something that you missed the first time you went to church, you were part of a church. Maybe you had a bad previous experience and, and you know, maybe you ran into a narrative in college or someone else somewhere else someone else told you that this couldn't be true, this couldn't be real if you were going to use your brain and be a person of science. But, but there's still something you can't escape. There's still that tug. There's still that conscience. There's, there's still that thing that you, you don't know what to do with it. I pray, I'm, my prayer for you is that you will keep taking steps to simply follow Jesus. To simply follow Jesus. Well, what does that mean? Well, it's different for everybody. And we Christians are bad at acknowledging that sometimes. We think everybody has to take the same exact steps in the same exact order at the same exact timing that we took our steps. That's what got me here. But I'm not you, and you're not me, and you deal with things that I didn't deal with, and I dealt with things that you'll never deal with. If you'll just keep following Jesus. Jesus doesn't care where you come from. Jesus doesn't care where you have been. I say, you know what, I want to change that. Jesus does care where you come from, and he does care where you have been because he wants to fix you and heal you from what you come from and from where you have been. He doesn't want to just write it all off. He wants to show you the meaning and the purpose that he can give your previous pain so that he can show you a different future that you never even thought was possible. So simply take steps to follow Jesus. Take steps to follow Jesus. And if you're here and thinking of following Jesus and something won't let you completely walk away, I'm praying for you. Keep following Before you have all the answers, keep following. Even though you may have doubts, keep following. The following, we Christians, we forget this all the time. Even the 12 closest followers of Jesus had questions and had doubts. One of them even got a nickname after Jesus had been raised from the dead. What was his nickname? Doubting Thomas. Like You can be Doubting Thomas and still be a follower of Jesus. The Old Testament says it this way, taste and see that the Lord is good. Just give it, give it a taste. How do you taste something? When you taste something, do you put the whole thing in your mouth? No. Chelsea and I went on our, our honeymoon. Dustin, come on up to the instruments. Give these people hope. Uh, d- d- Chelsea and I went on our honeymoon. We went on a cruise, and, and on that cruise, we decided early on, I don't know who, I don't know if it was a dare. I can't remember now. It's two, almost 18 years ago, babe. Mmm, 18 years ago. Y'all marry a blind woman. I'm telling you, it makes your life easier. 18 years ago, went on a cruise. We decided early on in our marriage we were going to taste any kind of food. We didn't care. Well, wouldn't you know, on this cruise, they served escargot snail. Yeah. And we decided we were going to taste the snail. I did not pick up the whole thing and put it in my mouth. I cut off just a little tiny bit. You know the little eyeball stem thing like this. No, I'm just kidding. It wasn't like that. It was worse. It was gross. It was salty and if you've ever had a cold, you know exactly what it tastes like. Just taste, just taste, see that Jesus is good. Just try him. Just like decide that you're going to come to church every Sunday for like three months straight. Come on, I mean, I know that's crazy. Football season's almost over and the Raiders are going to Vegas anyway. Who cares? Man? The Warriors ain't what they used to be. You don't even want to see them on Sundays anymore. I'm just kidding. Everybody wants to see the Warriors. Just taste. Just taste. Nobody wants to see the Knicks or the Bulls. Looking right here. Just taste. Taste and see. Jesus is so good. My life is so full with Jesus. Not because I deserve it. I don't deserve it. Listen, I... I, I, I've said this. It's been a while since I said it. Maybe I need to say it more often. I, I, I believe this. Look, if you come into church and you come and start following Jesus and, you know, you were on drugs or alcohol or, you know, I don't know, whatever it might be that you would think is bad and you come and follow Jesus, I, I think your story, you get a little bit more of a pass on your story than I do on mine because I grew up in a pastor's home. Like I knew what all the right was. I knew what all good was, and I knew how I was supposed to be and how I was supposed to behave, and I didn't, and I walked away from him, and for so long in my life, I pushed him to the edges, and I know what some of y'all are thinking that have been here for a while, but wait a minute, Jared, you used to be up on the platform. I know. I know. You were the youth leader. I know. I know, and I don't feel good about what I did and how I treated God, but God's goodness does not depend on my goodness. His mercies did not depend on my perfection. And it it came to a point in my life where I realized I was about to ruin my life. And I tasted again of the Lord's goodness. And I felt his mercies flood over me and... I came to a point of prayer and surrender and I said, Jesus, wherever you want to lead me, I'll just take the step and I'll just do it in, in, in obedience because I'm not smart enough to figure it out on my own. And God is good in spite of me not being good. Taste and see that he's good. For more information about City Grace, you can find us online at citygrace.church. We'll see you next week.